Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10, in case you use one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 7. And as you're finding your place, over the last 25 years or so, there's been a surge of interest in people uh, doing genealogical research as they, they try to trace uh, their, their family lineage all the way back to its origin, or, or at least to wherever their family was before they came to America. And in the last 10 years in particular, that interest has increased significantly as a result of services like Ancestry DNA and 23andMe. They'll actually test and analyze your genetics and then plot you on a map, a, a geographic location uh, that matches uh, that DNA, as well as other people connecting you with other people who share that heritage. Uh, and some of the things that people find are super cool, and then sometimes people find things that they wish they didn't know. But, but people are fascinated with where they came from and how they got to where they are today. And as we've already seen uh, so far in Genesis, that was true of people in ancient times as well. And the Jews kept very detailed genealogies. And so this morning, we're going to track how things developed when Noah's family came off the ark to repopulate the world after the flood. And so we're in Genesis chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. And so we have been following a pattern showing that what happens after the flood is, is intended to communicate uh, that, that the, the times after the flood are a, a new start. And so in Noah, we've seen that we have a new Adam who comes off the ark into a new creation with a new commission and who experiences a new fall. And now as we pick up in Genesis chapter 10, just as there was a genealogical record back in chapter 5 after the fallout between Adam's three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth, we now have a genealogical record following the fallout between Noah's three sons that we read about last week, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. So one difference is that the first genealogy was what we call a linear genealogy that traces the, the lineage in a straight line from one person to the next to the next, and that, that genealogy focused on the line of Seth. But what we have here is what's called a segmented genealogy. It's more of a family tree that, that shows the bigger picture, and so you trace some lineage here, and then you hop over, and you trace some lineage here, and then you hop over and trace some lineage over here. And so in this way, we see some of what came of each of Noah's sons and their descendants. It's also worth taking up, uh, taking a moment up front to note the significance of this text. And so if we 
have discussed previously, virtually every ancient society had a creation story of how the world came to be. Uh, Virtually all of them had a flood story of how the, the whole earth was flooded. But there is no other ancient document that records what happened after the flood and attempts to to record uh, how the human race repopulated and spread out uh, across the earth. Genesis 10 stands alone in that way. And so while this chapter does not necessarily make for the most stimulating reading, uh, it is uh, exceptional in that way. Only the Bible offers us this information. And then just one last introductory comment. I think it will be helpful Uh, as we read this, to understand that what we read here in chapter 10 is is chronologically out of order. Uh, What we have uh, here in chapter 10 is is the text is showing us something that happened, but it doesn't tell us why it happened. And we're actually going to look at that when we come back uh, to cover chapter 11 next week and see what happened that caused all of this division. But having said that, this first section of the genealogy deals with the descendants of Japheth. And much to your disappointment, we are not going to go through each one of them individually. Um, Although, incidentally, if you or someone you know is looking for a good Bible name for a baby, uh, you're going to find lots of good options here in this chapter. So there's a lot that we don't know in terms of the details of these people. But what I would like to show you for now, which you will see on the map that we're going to put up on the screen is that the names and the locations of Japheth's descendants uh, and, and those, what they are connected to uh, are circled in red, if you can make that out from wherever you're sitting, uh, and that stretches out across the, the top of the map in the north, and that covers uh, the area that would be part of what is modern Russia all the way over into central or perhaps even western Europe. And so I'm, I'm assuming that most all of us in this room would trace our ancestry back to Japheth, uh, at least in the main. And so if you're into genealogy, uh, then this map takes you all the way back to the beginning with one of the names or locations that are circled at the top of that map. Uh, And so the descendants of Japheth spread out across the north, and now we're going to move on to see the genealogy of Ham as we pick up again beginning in verse 6. It says, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ra'amah, and Sabtaka. The sons of Ra'amah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric. Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtalim, Pathrushim, Kalsuhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemurites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. 
These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And so as we pick up again in verse 6, we find the sons of Ham. And again, we're not going to go through all of them individually. I just want to bring out a few uh, pertinent details. So first of all, going back to our map, uh, we are going to see that we're looking now at all of the names and locations that are highlighted in green that go down the middle of the map uh, and into uh, the, the, the southwest of the map, which would cover uh, the areas of northern Africa to Iraq, and then even downwards, some towards India. And, and some scholars place them as far uh, even as China. Now, last week, we saw that Noah's curse of Canaan, among other things, uh, indicated that the wickedness of the Canaanite people found its root in the wickedness of Ham. And we see that even more here in this section. That principle uh, becomes very clear. As you look at some of the, the various people and locations that find their ancestry in Ham. Uh, in some ways, Ham's genealogy is a who's who's list of, of Israel's future enemies. And so we see the Egyptians who will enslave them. The Philistines, who will be consistent adversaries. The Babylonians and the Assyrians, who will bring them into exile. The exceedingly wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And a number of other peoples that the Israelites will go to battle against. And all of these people find their descent from Ham. And so if you thought he was a pain in the neck, then just wait till his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids come on the scene. And you'll also notice that the text focuses on one particular man, named Nimrod in verses 8 through 12. Now today, the term Nimrod is used as an insult. That's something that you say to someone who doesn't know how to drive. Uh, But it doesn't appear that we would have done that with the original Nimrod. He is described as being a mighty man, which is to to communicate something of a a warrior king. And he's also a, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And it's not clear on the surface of whether that's a good thing or not. Okay, it could be that Nimrod bagged a lot of ducks and he had deer heads, you know, all around his his wall in his living room. But it could also be that this is referring to hunting people in in conquering and subjecting people to his rule. But either way, Nimrod was a fierce killer. In fact, we see that Nimrod was so famous that it became proverbial to refer to him. There, There was an old saying at the time of, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So he founded eight different cities that we see in verses 10 through 12, most notably Babel, which we know more uh, specifically as Babylon, and also Nineveh, the, the really, really bad place that the prophet Jonah was unwilling to go to. And so these are the descendants of Ham. And now we'll take a look at the genealogy of Shem as we pick up again beginning in verse 21. It says, To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. And to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Amadad. Shaleth, Hazarmaveth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Diklah, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jabeb. All these were the sons of Joktan. 
The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And so as we pick up again in verse 21, we find the descendants of Shem, who is the father of all the Semitic people. And so the term Semitic derives from the name Shem. If you are Semitic, it is because you are Shemitic. And again, we're not going to take uh, these individually, but a couple of passing comments that you may or may not find interesting. Uh, Going back to the map one more time, uh, we're looking now at the names and locations that are circled in blue, particularly on the right side of the map, uh, and then going down towards uh, the Red Sea and the Gulf uh, of Aden. And so this would be the the area where modern-day Saudi Arabia and Iran are today. So looking back at the text, we see Uz listed in the middle of uh, verse 23. And if you are familiar with the story of Job, then you may remember that Uz is the land where Job lived. And so it's possible that he was a descendant of his. And at the end of verse 24, you'll see the name Eber. And Eber is where the word Hebrew derives from. And so we're slowly getting closer to where we're ultimately going with the people of Israel. And then in verse 25, we come to a man named Peleg. And the text says that he got his name because during his lifetime, the earth was divided. And that's an interesting statement that has puzzled interpreters for centuries. What does it mean that the earth was divided? And on the one hand, there is a theory that originally all of the land on the earth was connected. It was one big supercontinent. And that the force of the waters bursting forth from the deep that happened during the flood caused breaks in that land, uh, forming what we know today as as tectonic plates, and that after the flood, these breaks caused the earth to divide from itself, to separate and to gradually drift into the positions that they're in today. And if you've ever looked at a world map, you can see that it kind of looks like some of the continents could uh, theoretically fit together on some level. But the other explanation is that what we're going to read about next week in chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel is is what the the text means by the earth being divided. And I'm inclined to think that that is the more likely meaning. And so in other words, it was during Peleg's life that humanity began to divide up and scatter into distinct people groups. And Peleg's descendants are not listed here, but he is actually the chosen one through whom the seed of the woman is going to continue uh, in Israel's lineage. And so we're going to come back to him and his specific lineage Uh, next week. And so this is the record of the sons of Noah and their descendants. There are 70 nations that are listed here. There are 14 from Japheth, 30 from Ham, and 26 from Shem. And and we can note that this is not an exhaustive list. Verse 5 even tells us that there were other peoples that were not specified here. But these are all the major players that are going to have a role in the story as it moves forward. These descendants form unique family groups with distinct languages and with specific political and geographical boundaries. And so that's our our passage for this morning. We see how the earth was repopulated from Noah's sons after the flood as, as mankind spread out across the earth. And obviously a lot has changed over the centuries with 
uh, with wars and just regular migration and environmental disasters and all kinds of other things. But this is what the world looked like during the nation of Israel's early years. And so chapter 10 is, is really setting the stage for, for the world the, the world stage for how the rest of the Old Testament is going to unfold. All of the key people are in place now. And so the point of the chapter is information the Israelites needed to know uh, how the world came to be the way that it was in their time. But beyond that, uh, I think there are a couple of implications of what we see in this passage that I believe we would do well to consider uh, as we take a moment to reflect on, on the, the meaning of the text for our lives today. Specifically, in light of this chapter, I think we should be reminded that all people are created in the image of God and that all people need to be reconciled to God. All people are created in the image of God and all people need to be reconciled to God. And so first of all, all people are created in the image of God. As mankind began to spread out at this point uh, into different locations, they formed unique groups who began to do different things and live in different ways and establish different cultures. And and over time, the the vast diversity that we see in our world today developed. And so we we look different, uh, we enjoy different things, we, we act differently. And the temptation, which is actually common across all human cultures, is is to view our unique features as characteristics that make us qualitatively different from each other. Whether it's it's racism or sexism or ageism or classism or or whatever other ism that you want to throw out there, uh, these are all various things that we use to try to distinguish ourselves from other people as either better than or, or worse than. And certainly there are all kinds of ways that we are different from one another, but this passage reminds us that that ultimately we all have the same ancestry. And so the reality is that we have far more in common with one another than we have difference. This last week I was in San Antonio for the annual meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society, uh, for which a number of you have made fun of me this week for being a nerd. But that is okay because it's my ideal environment and I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, We had almost 3,000 of the leading theologians and biblical scholars from all over the world uh, coming together to present the the latest results of their research and they let me sit there and listen and ask questions. Uh, And so it was great, but I'm there and I've already got Genesis 10 on my mind because I'm gonna be preaching it uh, this weekend, But, but I'm sitting in a session on sin and sin's effect on our minds and the way that impacts our ability to interpret scripture properly. And during the Q&A time, this guy from India asks a question. And so I have to like lean in and and focus uh, real specifically because his accent is so strong. And then the next question, the very next question comes from a guy from Australia. And he's like, oh, I might really appreciate your presentation. And I was like, whoa, like having to shift gears again because it was the total opposite of the guy from India. And then later on, I was in a conversation with this lady, and she said, oh, I knew you were from Texas. I just love your accent. (laughs) And I didn't actually realize that I had a distinctively Texan accent, but apparently I do. And so we're we're all here together. We're all uh, in this one place together, and it, it was just obvious, particularly with this text on my mind, that we're all people. And certainly we have differences, uh, but in the, in the main ways, in the most important ways, 
we are really very much the same. We are all created in the image of God. And so, in a world that loves to draw lines and that loves to divide people, as Christians, we need to remember that we are all ultimately created in the image of God with a common ancestry, and we should treat each person accordingly with with dignity and respect. And so, in other words, there are no isms for the church. Secondly, we should also be reminded that all people need to be reconciled to God. As we, as we think this morning about how all the, the various nations of the world came to be, we can't help but remember that when Jesus gives us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. Right? That's what this is all about. This, this is why we're here. As a church, we have a task that includes every nation in existence as we share the good news that despite our sin and and our our, our, uh, just uh, deserving of judgment, God has made salvation available through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, And as we have that in mind, it should burden us as believers that there are still so many people groups in this world who have never heard of Jesus and who do not have access to God's word in their own language, things that we simply take for granted in our own lives. Church, our work is far from over. And so as we think this morning about the different nations of the world, it should lead us to recommit ourselves to praying and to giving and to sending and possibly even to going ourselves so that the kingdom of God will take hold in every place among every people in the whole world. And so a question for us to consider this morning, are we doing everything that we can to play our part in this task well, or would the Lord have us step up more in some way? Creation and reconciliation. We see this dual emphasis even in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens to a, to a, a very religious people, And he tells them, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Church, all people have been created in the image of God, and all people need to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, may we recognize our commonality with other people, and may we be consistent in sharing the good news of what Jesus has done to reconcile us to God through his life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray together.
Father, as always, we are grateful for your word. And and Lord, we come to a text this morning that on the surface doesn't look necessarily particularly interesting. Uh, A genealogy of, of who begat who and how the earth came to be repopulated after the flood. And yet, Lord, as we take time to consider it this morning, I pray... Uh, that you would be at work in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, that we would be reminded that what we have in common with all other people far outweighs the differences that we have. That, Father, we all have a common ancestor in Noah and in his three sons. That, Lord, that you would, you would lead us to interact with other people, even people who are very, very different from us, in light of that truth. Lord, as we see how the nations of the earth came to be, I pray that we would be burdened for the nations of the earth, that they would know you, that they would, they would believe in Jesus, and that they would live their lives for your glory, which is what they were created to do to begin with. And so, Father, as we have read your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would stir our hearts, lead us to respond in line with your word, and as we take this time to respond now, we pray your blessing on it, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 